it's with what he's been viewing, not what he's been listening to, that we welcome Chris Schultz. Hi, Chris. Kia ora, Catherine. A couple from Netflix and one in theatres. Uh, shall we start? Well, where would you like to start? With a couple of kids, we should probably start with uh, the Roald Dahl series on Netflix, I reckon. I wonder why they all popped up all of a sudden. Uh, I, I don't know whether they suddenly got the rights to a bunch of Roald Dahl, but this is all targeting the uh, eyeballs at home over the holidays, is it? Well, family-friendly viewing, I want to say. We all found something to enjoy in this series. And yeah, you're right. They have sort of popped up all of a sudden. This isn't a series as such. They've separated them out. So suddenly, like, your Netflix homepage is filled with these random little tiles with things like The Swan and Poison uh, written over them. They are actually all part of the same series. And yeah, this dates back to 2021 when Netflix acquired the rights to... Roald Dahl's uh, collective works, and this is the first uh, sign that we've, um, first thing we've seen out of that agreement. It's uh, four of his short stories turned into uh, little vignettes, short films, if you like. The first one's the longest, uh, the Henry Sugar, the story of Henry Sugar. Uh, if you remember this from your childhood, it's it's a story about a, a very rich man who becomes even richer by learning how to uh, see things with his eyes closed so he can read cards and cheat at poker and he makes a lot of money. It's a bit of a Robin Hood story. He gives it back and builds hospitals. But uh, this is a <laughs> collaboration between, yes, the Roald Dahl story and the filmmaker Wes Anderson. Now, if you know what Wes Anderson's... Um, films look like you'll know what to expect here it is bright it is colorful it is very theatrical the characters uh, swap roles and they talk to the audience like straight to the camera it's very wordy they sort of explain what they're doing and then they go and do it it's almost like there's there's as many words in this this first 40 minute feature uh, as there probably are in the book like every second is just filled with words because the characters are talking to you, then they're talking to each other, then they're talking back at you. But uh, it's incredibly engaging. I think that's what really uh, got us into it. You sort of start watching it and you get wrapped up in this world. The sets are moving. Uh, it's very colourful. It's It's got this kind of pace to it that just makes it feel kind of alive. Um, and, yeah, you probably what you probably want to do is pretend this is like a, a series cue them all up on a Friday night I think they'd come to about a hundred minutes so a movie length feature and and watch them all in a row because the same characters pop up um, and and play different roles and the style is the same Wes Anderson's made all four of them and yeah they're, they're just utterly delightful and I'm saying that as someone who is not a fan of Wes Anderson films but I, um, this is the first time I've just found them utterly engrossing and engaging. And yes, the happy. role of the um, the role of the actors. There's some big names here, and Benedict Cumberbatch uh, is one of them, who does an awfully good sort of turn at that intimate one-on-one communication with the audience. I can think of several roles where he seems to be good at that. Or you, you, you seem to be looking inside his head as to what he's thinking. Uh, so he's the protagonist in the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Yeah, and who else has turned up? Uh, yeah, Dev Patel is fantastic. Ralph Fien is in this. Ben Kingsley, um, yeah, big big names. They all do the same trick though. They all have their own role to play, where they're they're talking to you, then acting in the show. I mean, it's, it's very much like seeing a theatrical show. Um, 
but yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch is Henry Sugar in this, and yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's so good, isn't he? All right, and the other ones still to come are. Uh, so yeah, look, I, I honestly we're saving them up for tomorrow night. My kids wouldn't let me watch them without them, so I have not <laughs> gone ahead to watch all, all four. I wanted to. Um, there's the Ratcatcher, Poison, and uh, the Swan is the other one. But you need to search them all out. They're all in different places. They're not all under like a a one banner type thing. It's a, it's a bit annoying, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Umpa Lumpa and Charlie and the Ch- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What's the story with them? Well, that's the next. Um, that's the next cab off the rank, if you like. Taika Waititi is lined up to do uh, two Roald Dahl series. He's doing one on the Oompa Loompas, and then he's doing another um, Charlie in a Chocolate Factory. Couldn't be in story. better hands, right? Yeah, yeah, whimsy is the word yeah, here. Yeah. So, yeah, they're clearly picking uh, directors who know a little bit about whimsy. All right. Now, I don't. We've talked about Netflix before in this. They're sort of lurching more and more into the sort of true crime realm, aren't they? Uh, and this one is, in fairness, um, you know, it was a very prominent case at the time and it's an unresolved murder. The question is, what do you add, if anything, to what is known? Please tell me about Who Killed Jill Dando on Netflix. Yeah, you're right. We're seeing a lot more documentary content. There's a reason for that. That's uh, entirely due to the writers' strike. It's not just Netflix. I think most streaming companies are sort of uh, leaning heavily or more towards content that doesn't need writers just to fill in the gap until the pipeline uh, fills up again. I didn't know who Jill Dando was. Did you, Catherine? I did, but I'm probably a little bit older than you. I, I remember when this <laughs> happened, it was not long after Princess Diana died. It was mm. about the year later. And mm. strikingly, you know, actually there's a piece in the, I'm giving away a key moment in the <laughs> in the episode, because they had similar haircuts and there's a piece where it's revealed who had whom's first. So I think the, the doco makes the point at the time, back in the day, pre-streaming, pre-everything really um she was huge she would have been yeah. you know in everyone's living room uh and again a, a young woman who died prematurely just a year after princess diana so certainly it had huge coverage at the time the question is why am i looking at it 20 plus years later well i guess people like me who don't know anything about it i yeah i look i'm with you true crime is kind of a, a dead genre to me i don't want to hear another podcast or watch another tv show with a body in it but I, I did kind of wonder this sort of got my interest because I was like who was Jill Dando and when you look into it yeah she was a beloved uh, TV presenter in the UK She, they call her kind of second only to Princess Diana in terms of popularity they had the same kind of haircut but they also had a, a kind of following you know that sort of everyone loved her she was a news presenter for the BBC and then she went on to front Crime Watch uh, and then yeah one day she was um shot on her doorstep there was one of the biggest manhunts that ever uh went underway in in the uk to try and find out who did this and it was a total whodunit case uh and the documentary dives into those it's the details that that get me in this catherine i just i love documentaries that go beyond that you know they're not just covering what happened but they find the people who were there. They got a lot of people to speak, including yeah. some of the lead um, detective, the lead detective, uh, and also some who were very, very early suspects by dint of being related to her or working for her or whatever, her agent, for example. So they did get some people to speak, but I have not watched the whole thing. I don't know if I will. But was there anything you revealed with respect to evidence? 
it's tricky, right? Because no, this spoiler alert, this this doesn't have a solution. It doesn't have an ending. We still don't know who did it. They did arrest someone, and he spent eight years in jail for it. Uh, and he claims innocence still. They they do talk to this man uh, at length about that. He's still maintaining his innocence. There is a conspiracy theory that she'd been fronting a. Uh, appeal for the Bosnian war and and that a, a Serbian warmonger had sent over someone like a hitman to to take her out because of this and there was a, a case about ten days before where another newsreader had been sort of assassinated in a similar way so that's that's touched on but not in any great depth some of the some of the people don't come off great her ex boyfriend who was her boss. Uh, comes across as a very controlling person, and he doesn't make him a murderer, says, though. No, right? totally. Yeah. And and yeah. So look, for anyone who remembers the time and place, or anyone who who, who didn't really, there's there's a revisiting of an unsolved crime, <laughs> um, and and if it's going to keep you going for three episodes, I, I guess it will. Now we must touch on uproar. We have an interview coming up on Monday uh, with Julian Dennison, and also with his uh, co-star. Uh, wonderful um, talent as well. This is the latest, and what did you, latest of this very talented actor, two very talented actors, if I say. Uh, what did you make of it? I, I love this current trend of of New Zealand shows and films uh, creating kind of coming of age stories, but setting them at sort of tumultuous times in New Zealand's history. Oscar Kiteley did this recently with Duck Rockers, where he, he had these kids growing up amidst the the Auckland. Uh, Aotea Square riots um, and this is another similar story, this is about a, a kid growing up in Dunedin, he's stuck between rugby and theatre at a time when the uh, Springboks were undertaking their infamous uh, tour in uh, 83 was it I believe? 1981 81. yeah obviously a very controversial time in New Zealand's history, I was three years old, my dad did take me on one of those um, protest marches. I understand. I don't remember any of it, but that's the setting for this. And yeah, Julian Dennison is just, oh, he's wonderful, isn't he? He's so good in this. He's playing the kid who, uh, you know, everyone wants him to play rugby, but he's actually really good at theatre. Bunch of big, big names in this, including uh, Reese Darby. Mini Driver, by the way, I don't know what her connection is to New Zealand at the moment, but she's popped up in Rose Metafoe's Starstruck. Uh, she's in the, in the new um, the new Ta- Taika Waititi TV show, and now she's in this as well. She's playing Julian Dennison's mum. Uh, she's just everywhere. I th- maybe she's got a couch to stay on when she's here. I don't know. <laughs> Did um, you enjoy it? And and um, and are you recommending it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we need we need so much more of our own content, and we need to own these stories. And and this is a movie that does that. It probably needed a little bit of editing and fine tuning, but um, it's. It's it's lovely. It's wonderful. It's 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 just uh, the kind of stuff we should be making. To you know, really it's not shot. too heavy either. As I'll discuss with the actors on Monday, it's um, it, it's got a, a humour and a levity to it. Uh, Reese Darby always uh, brings that as well. But it's a a character development story as much as with, with the backdrop of a particular time and place. Totally, and they've got lots of the the footage from that time. It's actually really shocking to see that footage again because quite jarring and they recreate uh, one of the riots in Dunedin which can't have been an easy undertaking uh, with all those extras. Chris thanks very much. Chris Schultz Uproar is in theatres 